Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and I am super excited today to have um, a guest that has a has a, a strong background in not just um, the medical side of things, but also from a you know a patient perspective as well, and has uh, found himself in a really interesting role uh, currently. Eric Rivadell uh, with Rico, and um, again. To recap, the Pop Health Show is all about people that are trying to make more than one person healthy in this world. So I think Eric's going to bring an interesting perspective and background. Uh, before I give any further introduction, uh, Eric, welcome to the show. And maybe you can tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Maybe you can tell uh, you know, a little bit about your origin story. Sure. Uh, hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, so yeah, I uh, uh, started out in healthcare uh, uh, actually because I was a patient. Um, when I was uh, in my mid twenties, I was informed that my kidneys had failed and that I needed to have dialysis. And by the way, the work that I was doing, which was mostly manual labor, uh, was probably not going to be sustainable for me, and I'd better be thinking about some other way of making a living. So I uh, wanted to learn more about my own healthcare and uh, needed to find something different to do to make a living. So after casting about to a lot of different uh, possibilities, I wound up going to nursing school and decided that nursing would be a great career for me, and it really has been just super for me. So um, I, I started off um, as a patient and really understood a lot about the patient perspective. I actually was lucky enough to get a kidney transplant from my sister, um, and that happened while I was in nursing school. And so I had a lot of great education and support about what was going on around me, and it helped me understand my own healthcare uh, much better. And really, my passion since then has always been more about teaching my patients and their families about what's going on with the healthcare, as much as delivering the care that I need to give. Wow, wow, Eric, that's powerful. I did not know that. Um... Kidney transplant from your sister, uh, you know, that, that, is, that is tremendous. I did not know that. Um, uh, let me ask you, while you were going through that experience and concurrently going through nursing school, um, from both sides, what was your perception of, you know, maybe you can contrast for us, um, you know, pop health or patient engagement and experience back then as to, you know, how you see the current services and you know, uh, current potential opportunities for someone that may be going through a current scenario this year. I'd love to hear your perspective of, of the contrast. Uh, actually, that's an interesting question because in, in, in my, the first answer that leaped in my head as you were formulating that question was, there's no change. And, and honestly, in many ways, there really isn't a change. You have extremely, mm -hmm. busy, extremely busy, shorthanded clinicians that are trying to take care of a lot of patients and moving fast. They're doing their best to inform their patients about their health care and what's going on with it. But those patients still wind up with a lot of unanswered questions and basically having the kind of shown the door, sorry, we've got to get on to the next patient. So it becomes very challenging to um, assure that you really have solid information that you've transferred to that patient and that they've truly understood it. Because no matter what, you know, this was the same 30 years ago as it is now. Um, the patients will sit and listen to a clinician. They'll look at you. They'll nod like they understand, and they don't understand a word. And mm. 
Um, and once again, in my experience as a nurse, uh, even at the bedside inpatient working in the hospital, I'd be standing at the bedside with a patient. The doctor would come in. The doctor would talk through something. And of course, doctors have to go fairly fast. So there'd be five minutes of conversation. The patient would nod and say, uh-huh, got it. And then I would go through a little exercise of trying to confirm that knowledge. And so what did the doctor tell you? And they couldn't repeat that information back to me. So it's, it's a strong, consistent problem, and, it, and it's not just about poor people or just about um, people with developmental delays or other things. Normal, college-educated, uh, hard-working people who even work in the healthcare industry quite frequently wind up with a lack of information about their own care because things are going fast and people didn't have enough time and they didn't have a great channel for getting more information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's uh, such a great perspective, Eric. And we hear that a lot. You know, a lot of different industries have progressed tremendously on that specific type of flow, all the way from buying a car, getting groceries, to purchasing things for the house, to the way we get insurance or financial products. But when it comes to our health, the process is relatively still the same. Can you can you touch upon? Um, a couple of trends or capabilities, or maybe it's societal or technological shifts um, that excite you that you think that um, are starting to be applied to healthcare or could be applied to healthcare. And, and maybe if you can touch upon too, just yeah, if you can speak about any passions you have about any of those trends. Sure. So, so when we talk about what the real changes are that have happened in the last thirty years of healthcare. Um, and this applies to 50, 70 years of healthcare even. Um, I think the, the biggest change, of course, is the internet and that um, communication tools have improved and that information finding has improved quite a bit. So now people are quite empowered if they have access to the internet, they can go out and look up all the information they want. Uh, unfortunately, what they lack is any guidance in what information they really should be paying attention to and what information not act might, might actually not be germane to their condition. So people wind up developing a lot of prefixed uh, ideas about what's going on with their health care based on what they've read on the internet. And if they haven't been guided carefully to the right content that really gives them the information that makes the most sense for them, they can wind up with some wildly incorrect assumptions about what's going on in their care. Um, and so that's that's one of the bigger trends, I think, is just the Internet being there. Uh, I think that uh, because uh, of uh, legislation that has happened over the last 15 years and uh, just the general attitude of consumers these days, the fact that consumers start to see themselves as consumers of healthcare and not patients who take doctor's orders is a very mm -hmm. good thing. Um, I, I like doctors and nurses and, um, and like working with them. I've been a nurse for um, uh, a lot of years, almost 30 now. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I understand a lot of the things that go on with that. But doctor's orders are really should be more of doctor's advice. And the patient really needs to make their own decisions about how they're going to handle their own care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, it does feel like there's this convergence of uh, the technology trends, the access to the internet, uh, the consumerization element you just mentioned, um, and then, it, you know, the kind of this uh, the dimension of empowerment, which is really interesting, Eric. Um, can you, can you um, elaborate a little bit on, um, 
you know, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, we hear a lot about like legislation, fee for value, you hear a lot about these things. Um, you hear also a lot now about, you know, in the changing of the office in the White House, um, you know, what's going to happen with like fee for value and things like that. But from your perspective, can you codify or elaborate on um, the legislative piece? You know, what's really happening out there? How big of a change is this really? Um, and maybe you can kind of just inform some of our, our listeners uh, from just a, you know, simplistic perspective of what's happening. Sure. So um, I think the most, uh, certainly there's been significant legislation that's happened since 2009. Um, mm -hmm. When, uh, uh, when the, uh, 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 the budget uh, act was passed, one of the first, uh, one of the first legislation, legislative acts passed by the Obama administration and, and the Congress that was in place there, was the um, oh apologies, I'm, uh, Anthony? We're going to need to edit this. Affordable Care Act, or that is not Affordable Care. I'm trying to think of it, and it's it's the it's the um, hmm. the the, the uh, budget. You know where we uh, rescued all the auto companies, and uh, why am I missing this? Bailout type. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. It was at 2009, and I, I don't know why I don't have this at my fingertips and brain. Um, no worries, no worries. But 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 I, I think we can earmark it that you know that that you know probably you know a little bit before 2010 here. You know we we we've started had have some legislative change. You know that started the wheels turning. Yeah. So yeah, and so you'll be able to pick up from here. And so we got sure. the High Tech Act. The High Tech Act finally came in and said, okay, all hospitals have to have electronic health records, and they have to participate in them, and they have to use them in what they call in a way of meaningful use. They have to demonstrate mm -hmm. meaningful use of an electronic health record. And, of course, everyone shuddered when we heard that because there was no definition of what that meant. And then the definitions started coming out and we shuddered some more because there were a lot of things that seemed very irrelevant. At that time, I was working for a large electronic health record company as a product manager for one of their, uh, one of their applications inside their suite of electronic health record. And um, we wound up um, basically really being misdirected and misguided in our product direction. Uh, in in the process of trying to comply with that meaningful use. But mm -hmm. positive things that came out of that is that it absolutely did require patients to be more engaged. And the legislation that has followed high tech has consistently continued to require um, different steps that further engage patients in their own care. And so now we've seen the emergence of a whole lot of personal health records out there. Microsoft Health Vault was out there, um, Google Health for a short while, uh, we've got iTriage, some other products that are out there, um, none of which I'm affiliated with, by the way. Um, those things are out there and doing really well because patients really mm -hmm. want some way of getting information into an online system and being able to transfer that information to their providers as they need to. And, and starting mm -hmm. to figure out that's the way to control their own information through these personal health records. So I think that's another trend from the legislation that really started from the legislation is that we've seen um, 
further use of electronic systems and required use of electronic systems by healthcare providers. And then the patients themselves have gotten engaged in all of that because there were requirements that there had to be ways for patients to get engaged, and they actually did. So I think that's okay. been some good positive positive outlook from it, aside from a lot of requirements that might not have necessarily needed to be there just because of some um, interesting definitions of what meaningful use means. The, the, the outcome of it has been that we've gotten some good solid electronic systems put in place and that patients are far more engaged in their healthcare for the most part. That's not all patients, just those patients who are somewhat technologically savvy people who can run a phone mm -hmm. and run a computer. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and specifically, you know, since this kind of um, you're painting this narrative of, of obviously the growth more towards, you know, really value base and, you know, making sure um, we're putting it back in, in the hands of the patient as well. And, and, you know, trying not to allow the patient to carry along, uh, not just their record and information, but, you know, just like anything, it's important to have a log and a history of what's been going on. So, sure. you know, the person can have self-awareness as well. Are there any specific, um, you know, um, either technologies or um, certain processes that, you know, even excite you further that you're looking to see more of um, as we move more towards this kind of almost like this provider focus, you know, provider-driven consumer focus yeah. That, um, you know, because the EHR companies, right, Eric, they've been around for a while, you know, and, and they, I think oh, yeah. they do a good job of, uh, you know, capturing our information. But really, you know, it seems like there's just also this tremendous opportunity outside of the four walls of the hospital uh, to put power back into the patient's hands. And uh, I don't know if there's anything there you want to touch upon or anything that kind of, you know, piques your interest sure. in terms of, of, uh, sure. of, of trends or spaces there. Yeah. So first off, I apologize. I didn't quite fully answer your question. You actually asked me a little bit more about payment models as well and how has that affected mm -hmm. things. And I would say that, uh, and so we have moved from a fee-for-service model where the doctor mm -hmm. or the hospital did something. We just documented that we did it and sent a bill in and we got paid for it and that was great, right? Now, uh, mm -hmm. because of the legislative changes that have happened over the last particularly 10 years, um, what we're seeing is a move towards value-based care and a requirement that if you want to be paid, you got to demonstrate that your patients get better. And uh, that value base is, in some cases, related to a single patient's case to demonstrate that the patient did do well. Um, and in some cases, there are negative incentives for not doing well. For example, if a hospital readmits a patient uh, within 30 days after discharge, under certain diagnoses and circumstances, um, payment can be denied for that next hospitalization because the assumption is the hospital didn't do their job right. They didn't deliver value-based care. So I think that that's another thing that has empowered our patients a lot is that they recognize that there's an expectation that they're getting value for the money that's being spent on their health care, whether they have health insurance or they're paying for it themselves, whichever way it goes, there's a, a greater expectation of some accountability uh, behind that health care. And I think that's been something that's helped a lot. In terms mm -hmm. of the technology that's really changed and improved those things in the long run, uh, once again, mm -hmm. I think the communication tools have really gotten a lot better. We're seeing that um, physicians are a lot more willing now to share their documentation 
uh, of, of their visits with patients. That used to be something that was a very closely kept secret. Um, it has now been very clearly established that the medical record belongs to the patient, not to the provider who creates it. Um, and that the information that's in there ought to be accessible to that patient as soon as it's available to anyone. And so I mm -hmm. think that technology of, of being able to access doctor's notes, uh, the ability to exchange text messages or emails with your physician uh, on a regular basis, uh, it's been clearly demonstrated that it's not as big a productive, productive, sorry, not as big a draw in production as a lot of physicians were worried about. If you look at the work of uh, C.T. Lin, who uh, is the chief medical informatics officer at the University of Colorado Medical Center, uh, a really smart guy who's done some brilliant research into releasing more information and opening up those lines of communication with patients. Um, what his research has shown consistently is that physicians do not work harder when they release more information. They actually have an easier time of it and patients are greater satisfied and better educated about their care by having access to that information right away. So mm -hmm. the old, mm -hmm. the old now, myths this is, of yeah. too technical for you, that's, that's kind of going out the door and let the patients go through it and the patients will tell you when something is too technical and they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. I, I, I think this is a, a powerful perspective you're bringing. Um, you know, and as we've done this uh, shift for fee for value, you know, the, it's kind of like the analogy I, I like to think about is, you know, this is probably the way that the healthcare in the U.S. should have been there from the beginning from a common sense standpoint. Um, we've, we've deviated so much and now we've got what almost, you know, north of 17% that of our U.S. GDP that's, you know, that where healthcare is occupying a lot um, of that, obviously, and it's actionable, you know, and, uh, it's, it, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's exciting for it to finally, for the ship to be corrected. Um, you look at, you know, both, both Democrats, Republicans, you know, no matter who, who, which side of the house, you know, everyone's for it, you know, and that's, I think that's a blessing. I think that's a great sign. And, um, you know, it just does seem like we're moving from this model where, you know, just like if you need an oil change for your car, it's like going down the road and, you know, service base is kind of like you're getting different prices quoted for an oil change. You may get 300 bucks here, but we all know the price of what an oil change should be. And um, so it's just exciting for it to be, you know, more value based, more, more uh, standardized and, you know, ideally, you know, penalties for not getting very frequently done procedures, um, you know, done in the right way. Um, so I think you've highlighted a, a poor, important uh, amount of items here, Eric. This is this is great, um, Eric. Uh, what um, what I always love to do is kind of like one one of the you know we we keep these uh, shows kind of quick, short, punchy goals for our listeners to take away you know one or two things that um, or perspectives um, for their worlds. And I think you've added a, a, a few of those items. You know, one important question I always try and ask everyone is you know. What's, you know, Eric, what's something that you believe that other people believe to be insane or, you know, said another way, what's something that you believe that has not yet been proven yet? And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the show's about health, but if you want to talk about something else in that regard to the question, <laughs> that's fine too. Um, but just, uh, you know, just, just curious, um, you know, on, on, on something in that space, you believe that, you know, other, other people, you know, may think is insane. Um, 
Boy, I'm not sure uh, if there's anything that I'm totally contrary to the world on in my in my mm-hmm. opinions, but um, there's there has been a longstanding um, kind of uh, attitude about patients of lower socioeconomic status, people who are poor, people who have not had a lot of education people who have not had a lot of access to what the kind of upper crust of our society have on a regular basis, that those people need to be treated in some special way um, that uh, because they're dumb or they're just not capable of processing things. And mm-hmm. having spent most of my professional career at the bedside working in a, in a safety net hospital and working with those people specifically... Um, I have uh, always believed that, yes, you do have to find the right level of communication for that person. It has to be the right language, and it has to be in the right context for them. Uh, you know, somebody who spent their entire life working as a construction laborer is not going to have the language tools that a nurse has working in a hospital on a regular basis. So to try and use the same language that I use at the nurse's station with somebody who's sitting in a hospital bed and about to go back to their manual labor job is the wrong way to go. So I believe that those people can be educated. You just have to find the right level of education for them and the right methods to get to them and the right ways to get them engaged. It's not mm. like you should just write them off. Those people can right. get engaged in their health care. Mm. No, I love it. I love it. You know, I think you, you just touched upon some important things of um, – honoring the diversity, right? You know, socioeconomic, but, um, you know, focusing on that inclusion, I think is, is absolutely, you know, absolutely important. Um, you know, obviously a lot of us have different expensive technology and things like that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, um, from a socioeconomic standpoint, you know, people that do not have the money, you know, in spite of that, there's still, you know, does there, there is a strong thesis there, I believe as well, that, you know, we need to be able to um, gravitate towards mediums and and just simple communication or just the right communication, yeah. I should say, you know, that, that resonates. Yeah. And and yeah. Um, the flexibility in services to be able to reflect, so reflect those dimensions, I, I think, is important. So, no, thanks, Eric. I don't think that is definitely contrary to population, but I think it, it probably is a perspective that, um, you know, sometimes – you know, uh, the empathy of that, of that could be, can be lost. So, um, if we're, if we're not focused on it, right. And, and, you know, service providers aren't focused on it. Um, Eric, um, this was amazing. You know, we'd love to have you back on the the show, uh, you know, at some point in the future too, we know you're, you're working on some interesting, you know, projects overall. And, um, I think you've given our listeners and, uh, some great topics and a perspective from obviously the patient perspective. Um, God bless your sister for donating a kidney to you while you were going through nursing school. Um, I think your origin story is powerful and how that's set up as a great foundation for, you know, what you do currently, you know, and you're taking that experience and doing it in such a powerful, scalable way, obviously on a global level. So kudos to you and congratulations. Um, obviously, it's all about changing lives. Um, Erica, is there, um, as we end, the, end off the show here, what's a good way online or, or any, and you don't have to give out any contact information, but if you wanted people to interact with you or get in touch with you in some way, um, is there any way that you'd like to mention? 
Oh, LinkedIn is probably the simplest way to go. Uh, my name is Eric, E-R-I-C, Rividal, R-I-V-E-D-A-L. And you can reach out to me through LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on show. This was powerful. And uh, to our listeners out there, again, this is the Popel Show, made for anyone uh, with a passion for making more than one person healthy in this world. And I'm your host, Anthony Diaz. Thanks so much, everyone.